Good morning. Uh, episode 16. We are at episode 16. This is so wild. I'm loving this. Uh, this, this episode today features the wonderful mezzo soprano and composer Lisa Nair. It was so exciting talking to Lisa because we've never actually met. And um, like previous episodes, a lot of people I've spoken with, I've never met as well. But I always like it. I always like having that introduction uh, just through this conversation because we get pretty detailed and go in depth with things. Um, and speaking with Lisa, we we just kind of bounced around all over the place. It was and it and it was so much fun. I mean, we, we talked about her moving from Portland to the Midwest, meeting her fiance, moving back to Portland, um, writing for Voice, uh, time as a resource for creativity. We talked about sci-fi films we talked about flamethrowers um it was just it was just such an exciting and fun conversation i i really enjoyed talking with her um and and she has some really cool projects coming up too so one thing that she has is the one voice project micro opera festival and this is taking place from march 22nd to the 26th and it features one new miniature five-minute opera premiere will be will be released each day on youtube at 5 p.m pacific time the operas are written by lisa and kendra leonard and performed by opera singers across the united states including lisa the festivals pay as you can that's gracious and people can watch in real time or anytime afterward so once it's published on youtube it will always be there the festival culminates in a talkback reception with the artists, which requires RSVP link. So in order to be a part of that, got to find the link, RSVP. I'll link to all this stuff in the uh, description and show notes so, so you can check it out. Um, but yeah, that, that sounds incredibly exciting. I'll be, uh, I'll be tuning in for sure. Uh, another thing that Lisa offers is she is a artistic and business coach for composers, particularly anyone interested in the areas of composing for voice. So I would highly recommend contacting Lisa if you if that is uh, if that is you. If you want to write for voice, Lisa is the person to go to. She will help that you make that happen and um, helping you find connections with choirs and singers and stuff like that. So um, some other announcements for me, I will be at the Kimmel Harding Center in Nebraska for a, a three-week residency. Uh, I'm so excited to go there. I haven't ever been to Nebraska. Um, I've never been farther west than Chicago, so this is you know, a new venture for me. But it'll give me a lot of time to work on some projects I have coming up um, and working on things with the podcast. So yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I believe those are all, those are all the announcements. So yeah, thank you all for watching as always. If, uh, if there's a platform you would like for the podcast to be featured on, please contact me. I will gladly add it to the platform of your choice. Uh, please like share and subscribe and yeah, let's make some noise. My name is Adam Kanal and I am a collaborative composer. Join me in the search for a career in classical music. This is the Making Noise podcast. I'm so glad that we were able to line this up. I mean, um, how is everything in, in Portland? Because you, you, you didn't have power for a period there. 
Yeah, you know, I guess like, you know, when you think about people in, in Houston and in Texas, uh, it's all it's all so relative. We we're okay. I mean, I feel I still feel like I kind of lost a week of February, and February is already sort of a short month. Mm-hmm. So um, we lost power for one day, and then we were out of internet for two more. So that was kind of the greater part of a week. And since everything's on, everything's online. What do you do? You know, you just can't do anything. So it could have been worse. Yeah, <laughs> but um, not. Not my favorite moment, you know, uh, for sure. Because actually life's kind of full, even though we're in, you know, lockdown or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. How about yourself? Yeah. Um, I think it's been pretty pretty clean here. I mean, we haven't had any power issues. Uh, Chicago has gradually gotten warmer, which has been nice. Um, and, you know, there was some, there was some bitter cold days there, uh, which... Yeah in some ways is nice you know mm-hmm. like getting that that bite of cold air and like it sort of rejuvenates you in a way but only for so long mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't i I've, I've never been chicago is the farthest west i've ever been in the united states what? so yeah so i i don't know i'm completely green to the west coast like what oh. is it like in portland at this time of year it's so mild it's like yeah i mean normally it's like 50s you know and a little overcast during the day and like 40s and a little overcast at night. Right now we're having like some actually like partly sunny, partly cloudy skies. There's some sun coming through, you know, so our cat is finding sunspots to sleep on. It's great. I mean, it's March, <laughs> it's spring, you know? I mean, the bulbs are blooming, um, you know, we ha- underneath the ice, right? There were all these, you know, like sprouted green things kind of flattened and then as the ice melted, uh, you know, they're back, they're fine, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty nice after I lived in the Midwest for nine years Mm. and, um, I definitely, I love the falls in the Midwest, like the crisp and the sun and, um, growing up here, we never understood books that, um, depicted kids jumping into piles of leaves because the piles of leaves in the fall here are like wet and gooby and there's slugs in them. And, uh, then I went to the Midwest. I'm like, oh, that's where that's from. <laughs> that's not made up, as it turns out. Yeah. So that's I do miss funny. that, but I don't miss the winters necessarily. Um, yeah, that that's the winter is definitely depending on where you are. It could be it could be a big, you know. Well, even on the west too, like in the Rocky Mountains, I imagine is is something. Um, yeah, I don't know as much about the Rockies because um, I grew up south of Seattle, and then. I went to school in Portland and then after I left the Midwest, I came back to Portland. So yeah, the Rockies are kind of that, uh, halfway point, you know, between Seattle and the Midwest. So, Mm, yeah, that's true. What, what brought you to the Midwest? Grad school. Okay. And where, where did you study for grad school? So I went to university of Kansas and I got a master's in music composition. And what brought me there specifically was Forrest Pierce, who, taught composition at Lewis and Clark College where I went for undergrad. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through my time there, he got a job out at Kansas and moved out there and we stayed in touch and really loved working with him. And so that was wonderful. I sort of followed followed my mentor. When do you when do you get to do that? You know, it was kind of a unique experience to get to go work with somebody at the grad level at a different school. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and then um, from there, I was interested in continuing studying in voice. And so I was looking at either getting a doctorate or a second master's. And once you're in the Midwest, everyone knows and recommends teachers in the Midwest, you know, that's <laughs> the network. And so I ended up at the University of Iowa, where I got a doctorate in voice, and then worked for, you know, a couple of years performing, teaching, composing, and just making a plan mm. of what was next and uh, picked up a fiance on the way, convinced him to come back out here. <laughs> Look at this, the, the Midwest is offering you degrees and uh, a, a lovely romantic relationship. Yes. To take back to the Pacific. Exactly, yes, yes. I have corrupted him with mountains and oceans and hiking and, you know, vegan food. Ooh. So, yeah. I don't imagine there's much hiking out in the Midwest, so. <laughs> you know, I was, I have to eat some humble pie because when I went to Iowa, I, I looked up the national parks map and I went, wow, we're so far from a national park. It's hilarious. Mm. But the state parks are amazing. And once I got a car, which was not for a while, but once I got a car, there are some beautiful state parks, like, I mean, ravines and up, in, up north in Iowa, there's really like really interesting rock formations and, um, you know, these hikes where you got to see cliffs and you get some good elevation and really, really beautiful forests and trees. So yeah, the, the state parks are fantastic. Mm. They really are. So, you know, it's not the same as scaling a mountain, you know, you, you kind of have a different um, landscape that you're looking at, you know, and you're going to be a lot stickier in the summer, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's okay. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit more humid. Um, or at least the farther east you go, I think it's more humid. I'm, I'm, it's I'm... really humid in the summer. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. From interviewing, I interviewed at University of Kansas in January or February. And when I, then when I, you know, I went back, back to the Pacific Northwest. And then when I moved, I flew out in August and I thought I had landed in Florida. It was just wet mm -hmm. and the bugs were enormous and <laughs> You know, there was green stuff growing everywhere, like explosive. It was just, it was really interesting to move to a different ecology, you know? What, what was the biggest sort of like, um, I guess, like culture shock for you going from the West Coast to the Midwest? Mm. I don't know if there really was, because, you know, you go to like Lawrence, Kansas is sort of the, it's the college town. It's the most, you know, hippie of all Kansas, you know? Um I think one of the things that I felt when I was really gigging and working as a professional in Iowa was my friends in big cities would be on transit for two hours to get to gigs, to go like seven miles or something, you know, or less. And I was driving like two and a half hours through like rural Iowa between like colleges or little towns you know, so where you'd lose GPS and you had to just kind of keep driving on this highway and keeping your eye out at 11 o'clock at night for deer and hoping that, you know, because your phone doesn't tell you where you're going anymore, that you're going to see that sign that says like 100 miles to Cedar Rapids this way and you're just going to keep going. So that to me was sort of an interesting thing as I contemplated where I wanted to move and the pros and cons of like, density versus being spread out that 
Yeah. What's the difference? I don't know. There's, I mean, there are differences, but that, that to me, I guess was like a culture, I don't know, shock, but culture consideration moment mm. of how we perceive distance and community and what feels more connected, you know, seven miles of traffic where you, you, you're on transit or you can't have a car or whatever, but there's density or, you know, two and a half hours of no traffic, just roads. What's, or what kind of connection is that, you know? I, I really love what you're saying about this. I mean, cause it's something that you don't, it's not something that you can easily um, um, pick up on when you're going to move to a new location, like, especially across the country. Mm-hmm. So like, like in your example, like going to a new school or graduate school or whatever you want to say, um, there's like, if you were to look up like Googling, you know, uh, what's it like to live in Iowa? You're not, you're probably not going to see a lot about the things that you just mentioned. Yeah. It'll be more like, you know, oh, the winters are this and like, yeah. you know, but they're not, not going to say like, oh, well, driving these distances, you, you know, this might create this sort of experience with um, uh, connectivity with like, yeah. you know, who you're working with or uh, the access you have. Mm-hmm. that's sort of something I experienced actually the other day. Cause I'm originally from Northwestern New Jersey and okay. um, you more or less have to drive to wherever you want to go. There's not a lot of public transportation. Sure. And here in Chicago, it's like what you said, where it takes you two hours to drive like five miles, Yeah. you know, and I love driving. I hated that. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. When we were looking at places to live, you know, one of the things we wanted to do was sort of experience the full implications of that, you know, so we spent, you know, a couple days, um, it was pre-pandemic, it was like three or four years ago, we just took some years where we, our vacations were like, let's spend a few days in Seattle, let's spend a few days in San Diego, let's spend a few days in Kansas City and sort of experience things. And we wouldn't try to like necessarily completely avoid rush hour because we wanted to see like eyes wide open, what would that look like? And um you know, really interesting to think about how that's going to impact your life. And um, having grown up south of Seattle and been really present as the Seattle boom happened and the implications it had for my parents and work and, you know, things like that. And and Seattle and, and Portland, I mean, Portland has, I think, kept up with transit better than Seattle, but it's not like the East Coast. It's not like Chicago. It's it's a lot younger infrastructure here and there's a lot of catching up to do. And so that's also really humbling to realize like that that's not a problem that's going to get fixed overnight. So if you're going to dig into that eyes wide open, you know, I, I, I like that perspective. That's, that's really interesting. I haven't thought about that. I mean, yeah. um, Portland's, in Seattle, how far apart are they? Oh, it's like, well, I, can't, I was going to do time. Uh, it's it's like 200 miles or something like that. Um, oh, I thought it was closer. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if there wasn't traffic, it would be like three, three and a half hours if you mm-hmm. went like at one in the morning mm-hmm. or something. Um, and my, well, my parents lived south of Seattle. And my, my grandma, who I, I help with some elder care, she lives in Olympia, which is about 60 miles south of Seattle. So like I can go there, you know, and the worst traffic is getting out of Portland. And you can miss that if you go early enough or time it right, you know. Mm-hmm. And Seattle is very much, it's really, the traffic has really exploded and there's sort of 
locked in in certain ways because of the geography of the city um, where the expansion of the highways is not super easy to do because of the sea and how things are built up above land and things like that. And so, yeah, so getting through Seattle is a big deal. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. But I mean, I love Seattle. It's wonderful. It's a really, really fun place to visit. And, you know, before, right before the pandemic, I was starting to get some offers of opportunities to gig up there. And that was going to be super exciting because we are kind of, you know, Seattle and Portland, we have a lot in common and, you know, we are um, sort of sister cities in some ways. So I, I can't wait to realize those dreams when it's safe to do so, you know, yeah. on the other side of the pandemic. Oh, I, I'm really looking forward to the day where I can walk around yeah. no mask and like talk to someone and shake their hand and yeah. like, you know, have that, have mm -hmm. that personal interaction. And um, have you, have you had any engagements lately where you've gotten to actually like go somewhere? Like, even if it was just like a two person performance or something or. You know, the one, the one that I've done, um, there's a wonderful series in town that first Presbyterian church hosts a concert series that they went virtual this year. They, they had me and a pianist colleague of mine, uh, Stephanie Thompson, we had performed a recital of uh, songs about birds and sort of how birds show us different aspects of humanity and of how humans interact with the world. So we had first performed that concert the January of 2020, and we were invited to reprise that. And that was a special situation where, yeah, we were able to do that where they live streamed it from their space, this really large church space. And the only person involved that was unmasked was myself. And so that seemed like a really wonderful, safe way to create music. Um, and then Stephanie is a, a dear friend and we were really great about having these conversations about how we were gonna you know, be a little farther apart than normal and our masking procedures and our other safety habits. So that was great. And it was wonderful to do with such a supportive community and also with a collaborator that I can speak really openly about and, and just have a free exchange of what we're doing. Beyond that, no, all of my gigs have been uh, virtual where I'm not in the same space with other people. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly why I asked too. I mean, I imagine that experience must've felt really like, you know, um, almost nostalgic. <laughs> it's so it was so fun and also sort of confronting because you sort of, I felt, I kept questioning myself, like, is this really, have I forgotten something? Have I missed something? Is this safe? You know, because of how I think it's really easy for our brains to try to create some exceptions to the safety protocols that, that we've been living with. Mm -hmm. And so I felt, I felt some of that, you know, as well. And then so strange that like um, afterwards, you know, we don't get to hang out or go out and grab a drink or even, you know, it was January. So we we chatted in the parking lot for a couple minutes with our masks on. And then we went to our own homes and sort of toasted, you know, virtually. So it was, it was a little, um, I yeah, it's a little melancholy, but also um, so, phenomenal to have the support mm -hmm. because most of the other things I've done, I've had to be recording engineer, lighting designer, everything. And so 
to be invited and to be plugged into an infrastructure where there's somebody up in a booth pointing the camera and adjusting the mics in real time, you know, oh my gosh, that was so phenomenal. And they did such a lovely job. They rebroadcast it the next day and, you know, they just, they really, they really put a lot of work and, and effort into creating an experience for the audience. And so that was so wonderful to have partnership in that. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I love hearing it. Like even like the way you're talking about it, it's just, you can tell you, it was an experience that you're just so, so excited about. Yeah. It was wonderful. <laughs> that's great. I, I had, um, I, I joined the, this organization in Chicago, New Music Chicago, oh, which, cool. is, which has been awesome. And I like emailed them right away. I'm like, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. I want to mm. do, I want to be doing stuff, you know? And so there's been these live stream performances that have been happening. Great. And, um, I've been helping out with some of the production with that. Me and me and Marianne Parker. Shout out to me. Oh, she's so wonderful. Oh, she's amazing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you worked with her before? I have. She premiered a piece of mine in December 2019. All those pieces, you know, at the end of 2019 and the start of 2020 are so precious. They always <laughs> were, but they're like more so because they were some of the last in person or, you know, normal <laughs> concert. Yeah. So she premiered a piece of mine with um, Access Contemporary Music that was a piece to be played entirely inside of a grand piano um, called Inner Worlds. And that that was so, so fun to work on with her. And she's just a rock star. That's awesome. She, yeah, she she's such a fun person. How, how did yeah. you two connect? We connected through um, through Seth at um, Seth Bustad at Access Contemporary New Music. Um, I was invited, I'm trying to think of how Seth got my name and now I'm blanking. <laughs> yeah, just through the, you know, through the network. Um, he had contacted me and invited me to write a piece for the concert. They had some several commissions that they were, they were offering. So I was lucky enough to get one of those. And then, yeah, we connected. A, she, at the time, it wasn't clear who was going to perform it. So that was a piece that I wrote not knowing who the performer would be. And then we connected in the rehearsal process. Mm. And I'd known her name because of different collaborators that, that we have friends in the same circles, Michael Hall and um, Megan Enan. So I knew of her work, but um, that was our first collaboration. And then she was also involved in the curation for the new music shelf anthology of piano music. Mm. And so that was just getting kicked off. And my piece Fisher for speaking pianist is going to be in that and she's gonna you know do a recording or a performance of some kind when possible was the the idea but all that was sort of going into the works when the pandemic hit so you know it's been a little bit slowed down because of this process but right. yeah oh that's amazing it's it's so funny too that you mentioned michael hall and megan enan I mean, like, I know, you know, all of them collaborate and stuff, but it's coincidental yeah. they all have M names. Oh my goodness, that's true. <laughs> it's a conspiracy, clearly. I feel like it is. Great people have the yeah. names, have the letter M in their name. <laughs> it's true. I feel like I could be honorarily a part of that. L and N, I'm like sandwiching. I'm like yeah, the, the, the Oreo cookie around their cream filling. <laughs> I think I could be, you know... I think I could be a part of that honorary circle. I mean, I, I think so too. You're you're yeah. right there. You're like I'm gonna sandwich myself there. You're you know, be cool by association. That's my goal in life. How beautiful is that? 
Yes. Totally. <laughs> it's it's a simple way to uh, just be just to be awesome, just because like you got Megan, Marianne, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Your career I think that, is, I think career that counts. Done. Yes, totally. Well, not done in the sense that it's like it's over, but like uh, the work is over. Like <laughs> we've established the coolness yeah. is happening. I like Next, that. move on. Next question. We're cool. We're good. Check. Exactly. Exactly. We'll have to. Uh, we'll have to get a whole thing going with Marianne, Michael, and, and Megan, and just uh, I don't know. Have at it. Triple M. Voice, viola, and piano. Yes, of course. That's an interesting combination. Is there a piece for that? Oh yeah, Brahms Alter Rhapsody. Oh no, wait. Is it Alter Rhapsody or shoot? There's so many Brahms. <laughs> Uh, there are, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to blank on the name. There's, there's these two Brahms that are like, um, songs of Mary, like nativity songs, but they're gorgeous. And they're like gorgeous. Mm. And I don't remember if that's the same as Brahms Alto Rhapsody or not, because I'm not studying for music history test at the time. And I can look that up, but, um, yes, that comes to mind immediately. This set of Brahms nativity songs. Um, I'm sure there's others. Yeah. I love you were ready for that question. That was amazing. <laughs> well, the, it, the, although I'm blanking on the exact name or not sure if I have it right, that was a very special piece that I got to perform with a colleague at U of Iowa. And so, um, so that's stuck in my mind. Darn it. I can't remember. I'll look it up. That's okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I haven't thought about that. I mean, I have, I have almost. I have almost no experience writing for voice, but uh, you, ah. you understand that a little bit because I got to be a part of your uh, text setting like a boss workshop, yeah, which cool. was so awesome. Oh, I love it! What was the takeaway from you about that? What oh did my. you What did you think about? Yeah, after after the sessions, I, I would talk to my girlfriend about it because I was so psyched. But the thing that I love the most, which I, I wanted to talk to you about, is. Um, how you explained writing for the voice by focusing on the natural tendencies of speaking and uh, the way that the sounds work mm. as a way to, um, as a jumping off point for composing. Yay. Right. Uh, like, am I, am I, am I close with that? Is that like, that's sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> I asked you what you took away. So yeah, that's, that's what whatever I you say is correct. <laughs> Did I, so I passed the test. I passed the, uh, totally. Awesome. Um, yeah, and but that's what I liked so much about it. I mean, because it's I'm not a singer. I did I did do choir for many years and under oh, great. like that, but um I'm a guitarist by trade. So mm -hmm. that's my, you know, um my 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 wheelhouse. That's another instrument that doesn't get taught to classical composers very thoroughly. Yeah. I mean, you know, like that that's an instrument we need more. We need more resources for and we need more sort of time spent on. And it's so strange because guitar is such a ubiquitous instrument in so many other traditions of music, mm -hmm. you know, and in such a ubiquitous instrument for singer songwriter, like composers from that tradition. And then for classical composers to sort of have this like giant question mark, you know, is so strange because it's such a cool instrument. <laughs> It's that's a good point. And it's an interesting thought too, because like yeah. you know, because like you said, uh so few composers write for the guitar. And well, I don't want to yeah. say few composers write for the voice, but I think I do think that uh like your text setting like a boss workshop is that so few composers are um 
uh, understand how to effectively write for both instruments. Yeah. The voice being an instrument, right? Um, sure. But uh, yeah, I. But going back to the workshop though, it was it was amazing how. Um, oh my god. I wrote all this stuff down. I, I took it. I took it more for uh, just the information to get, you know, like sure. to have a little bit. Because sooner or later, I plan on writing for voice. <laughs> yeah, you better. I have no idea when that day will be, but hopefully sooner than later. Um, Why not this year? I would love that. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely love that. It's it's such a fascinating instrument. And uh, um, but what are what are some things for you going through that sort of workshop? Like it was it was your sort of you know you created it and stuff. What is something from you that you got from it that you walked oh, away wow. and you, you know, like, it's, oh, this is, this is new for me? You know, I love hearing the questions that, that the composers ask because it gives me so many more ideas about where we need to go in these conversations. You know, I have a lot of information about the things that I see as a performer being handed, you know, new pieces or pieces in progress that I'm giving maybe feedback for or that I'm asked to perform. Sometimes there's a feedback process, sometimes there's not, you know? So I have a lot of that where I'm like seeing the trends of things I'm encountering that, you know, just reflect a little, a little gap, you know, in where that education is, you know, the same way if you got handed a piano piece and there was some fingering, you know, things that were stretches that were really challenging or almost impossible or, you know, any instrument has these things. So I see those. And I also see the questions that are coming to me with the composers that I coach one-on-one -on -one, where we're really getting into the work of their pieces and their questions, you know, but that's only one slice. Mm -hmm. And so for those three days and for the days leading afterwards, the kinds of conversations that we're getting started and, um, you know, someone was asking about, Fach, the, the sort of German operatic voice classification system that gets really in the weeds. And we, we touched on it a little, but it, it honestly is like a huge conversation that it almost needed its own day. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't get into all the detail, but that went, oh, okay, that's something that, that there's an opportunity to educate about. Um, and then also the fact that like all the stuff about um, the artistic side of writing for the voice or the craft side dovetails right into the logistics and the business and the, the getting performances side that, that composers have these dreams and goals for. And so the conversation really flows from one thing to the next as we talk about the dreams and goals and what composers want ultimately to have happen, which for most people, the composers I talk to is performances and repeat performances and the opportunity for the work to go out into the world. And so then questions about how to meet singers and how to write for different age groups or experience groups and what the gaps in the repertoire are and where to find those people, like those flowed out immediately too, even though it wasn't the focus of the conversation, wasn't like getting your music, you know, performed a million times, wasn't like the main topic of the three days. Mm -hmm. It was just part of it infused because that's why so many composers are doing this is for the final goal of performance of the music coming to life. So that was really wonderful for me to, to hear those things coming up and how those questions were coming up for composers. Mm, I like that a lot. 
there yeah I, I do remember that too i remember a lot of people asking questions in the chat and like some of them i was like oh that's a really great question yeah um, i don't remember this question specifically but <laughs> how to find lyricists or librettists like yeah. you know um or really specific things about voice types and differences between like tenor and bass voices versus soprano and mezzo voices or even what's a mezzo you know those questions are really you know there's all these every instrument has you know terminology and groupings and sort of um uh trivia or that's the wrong word because that makes it sound trivial but you know like quirky stuff yeah and so that can seem really mysterious can seem overwhelming you know i've had a lot of composers tell me i find it overwhelming the idea of writing for singers and i can understand that because like i've never played a string instrument so for me that's where i go to emotionally and and intellectually when i'm trying to uh imagine what it's like to be someone who's finding that overwhelming is that was super overwhelming for me as an undergrad to be like how what do you mean there's multiple ways to finger the same note i don't right. understand that you know right. coming out of piano and harp i mean harp a little bit it's so much more um simple because the, the strings yeah the strings can be multiple pitches but only de as determined by the pedal mm -hmm. it's not it's not the, and the the finger placement is not the thing on the strings so so i can totally relate to sort of feeling that fish out of water or or overwhelm yeah that's 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 an interesting um perspective right there is being a singer and then have and then writing for instruments where like you said like oh wait there's more than one fingering for that mm -hmm. yeah like the, the yeah. guitar for example you can play the yeah. same note in like four different places absolutely and 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 depending on where you're playing it you might have access to different types of notes or even chord shapes mm -hmm. so it's like even as a guitarist i i get so frustrated playing a song i'm like should i play it here or like down here or like you know yeah <laughs> those questions it's it's a uh it's it can be frustrating well yes i can imagine that's yeah to me those are are really always such interesting questions whenever i write for for guitar for strings yeah yeah i i, I find it um for for me as a player at least like i i usually try to lean towards whatever i can make most musical mm. but at the same time it's hard to balance because then the timbre changes you know Right. And so how does that work? It's a it's an interesting kind of dichotomy. Yeah, I'm not much of a performer, but um, I was going to ask if you performed your own stuff very often. Not often. I have. I wrote one piece for guitar that I had performed in my senior recital. Um, okay. But I'm not much of a guitar composer. I, I mm. like. I don't really want to write for the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know it's yeah it's it's fine it'll call to you if it calls to you it'll it'll happen sooner or later sure. yeah yeah but what is what is something with um if you were to kind of find one thing and this is like a, a more personal question with hmm. with what you what you want to see for vocal music is yeah what is something that you would like to see more composers doing and whether it's something not, not so much like oh. what they're doing wrong that um oh you should fix this but just your own personal preference. Like, oh, I'd like to see this more. I mean, feminist, feminist storytelling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, modern stories, 
different kinds of stories for for sopranos and mezzos and and for for different identifying singers and for for tenors and basses and for male identifying singers different kinds of stories too you know and that's the number one thing for me and uh you know i i really just don't think we need to to go tell 18th century novels we i mean i love jane austen as much as the next girl but I, i've done that right you know so I, I mean give me ripley from aliens or you know give me <laughs> give me you know give me some some new stuff and you know an opera is a, a ton of time for everyone involved at every stage um if you're talking about like even a even a shorter opera it's a ton of time you know and so i feel i feel such a fatigue mm. seeing you know stereotypical characters being written again and again and again and again that's fatiguing i'm so over that i'm so over that I, yeah. <laughs> we're done I, I i sense i sense there's a, a workshop coming sure yeah <laughs> absolutely let's do it um the other thing i think too i mean like my mind went right to opera but it's not just that you know and and you know i know what happens i know the first things that come up when you when you type public domain poetry mm -hmm. i know who those poets are and i know what poems come up because they're the ones i get handed again and again so you know, dig, digging deeper and finding maybe living poets to work with. Because, you know, if you dig, if you dig into public domain poetry, if that's your, your place that you're going to, you're talking about older stuff and it's mm -hmm. going to be harder to find feminist stuff mm -hmm. to set. And so there's that, there's also just like, okay, the first page of results on Emily Dickinson versus like, the 50th page of results in Emily Dickinson. Like if you're gonna do Dickinson, dig deeper. Um, those are my hot takes. Mm. Uh, but you know, I, and then if it's opera, if it is opera, I mean, story, do you realize it's going to be staged? You know, because I, I think that the transition from writing concert music into writing staged music, um, what is that? because we memorize and there's movement and from the theater perspective you can have a play with no lines you you know you can have drama you can have physical action there doesn't ever have to be a line mm -hmm. so uh, there can be this thing where like in the in the transition i think from writing like recital song or concert music to writing opera where there needs to be some time exploring what is that what does that mean what is it what does it mean to write an opera what does it mean to put something on stage and to write something with the purpose of Heather being physical action to do, whether that's in realism or in, you know, an avant-garde style, any of those is fine, you know, but is that part of the consideration? Cause that's a real different thing than, than standing in a chamber ensemble and singing. That's, that's amazing. What a great philosophical thought too. what the difference is yeah. between just writing concert music and, you know, is there even the approach to it? Is that going to be mm -hmm. different? You know, like, mm. um, I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, Please. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to anyone who listens or watches this episode, Lisa just called it out. Make some more contemporary uh, content for your for your operas and stuff, people. Yes, please. <laughs> yes. I love that you brought up uh, uh, Ripley from Aliens, by the way. What a great. Um, Thank you. Oh my God, that closing scene where she's she's just in her underwear and her shirt and it's her mm -hmm. against that alien. 
what yes. a what an expression of uh the vulnerability of humans oh sure yeah you know that's part of the there's so much in the horror of that that entire set of movies but in that the first alien in particular that is you know the costume and the you know just the vulnerability of people like you're saying you know um and the sort of the staging of that but i mean there's there's theater theater there it is for you you know like what and then you i mean you see it too the the creepiness the ship is full of um nooks and crannies and it's it's got lots of pipes and it has it has kind of creepiness in it mm -hmm. so there's all these things that make the storytelling and the horror come alive because of the use of set and costume and you know what that does to us watching yeah I, that's oh a that's a those movies are my some of my faves i just love those movies that's fantastic that yeah. right there that one scene could be an entire opera it could totally be yeah don't <laughs> do that like without like do do something like in the ilk don't don't get stuck in a copyright thing oh yeah <laughs> <People>. yeah <laughs> but yes like a ripley-esque what i would totally I, mean, I would love to sing a scene where i get to blow an alien to bits please where's that that's that's gonna we'll, we'll get you like a flamethrower or something awesome like, you know yes it's uh do you do you know flamethrowers they're illegal to use but you can build one they're legal to be built i think or, or is it illegal to use what is it huh or no you can't buy one but you can build one <laughs> that seems very strange <laughs> Um, I think I, I I could be totally off on this. Like someone's also how funny. One. I mean, like that's a strange place to draw a line, people. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm pro flame for purchasing. Um, Actually, I think I'm wrong because um, uh, Tesla I think had a limited like flamethrower for sale. <laughs> that's so random. Or, or if you don't have as much money, buy this flamethrower. Exactly. Exactly there could be a prop flamethrower i'm just like i'm throwing it out there that could happen <laughs> you're you're throwing it out there i'm throwing it Pun intended. there could be many different permutations it could be a a laser futuristic laser flamethrower mm. with with some lighting design there could right. be many things we could know? do something where it's like um uh, uh um a leaf blower and then yes. putting yellow yellow like cloth at the end to re replicate totally. flames 100%. There are so many solutions. We're creating this opera right now, Lisa. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Yes. The, the people are going to see uh, 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 the manifestation and creation of an opera right before their eyes or their ears if they're listening. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. I love that. This is, um, this is, a, new, this is a, a pandemic 21st, 2021 way of, of composing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And what's better for virtual pandemic 2021 than sci-fi? Sure. That that's, makes like perfect sense to me. That's true. That's very yes. true. That's thematically I, appropriate. What what sci-fi have you seen lately that, that you're uh, you're geeking over? Whoa, I'm always seeing sci-fi. So we're rewatching Star Trek Voyager and it's getting good. We're at the end of season three, starting season four. Mm -hmm. I'm a big Voyager fan. Seasons one and two can be a little bit, they're still finding their feet. Um, a lot of things I like though, even in those seasons. Um, so things are heating up. We've got, uh, the Borg happening and we've got some Janeway and Chakotay budding heads happening, which is nice. 
to see them like actually having distinct characters um, because Chakotay is kind of a little, he's, he's a little subservient for the first two seasons. Um, so we did that. We watched the old Superman one and two with Christopher Reeve. Ooh, Marlon and Brando, I got, right? I'm going to see if bad? I can get this right. The Richard Donner cut, which is different than the cut that was in theatrical. Mm. When I guess I'm going to get this so wrong. <laughs> my fiance is going to tell me if I'm wrong. They, they, there was a problem with Marlon Brando and they cut him out of the theatrical cut. Is that right? Uh-huh. He's, he's nodding. Okay. <laughs> Yes. So then later they they have released this cut with the restored Richard Donner vision with Marlon Brando in it. Um, so that's that's pretty deep in the geek weeds. Uh, but that was really fun to to rewatch that very um, iconic. You know, I mean, I remember as kids, my parents watching Superman and being like, "Come watch the you know when he flew," or "Come watch when the baby's in the." kind of crystal yeah, um, I and things scene. and we yeah we were always so excited to see the cool special effects so <laughs> yeah so those are some of my latest sci-fi stuff are you you're a sci are you a sci-fi person too not particularly i, no. I enjoy it I, I i don't um focus exclusively on it or anything like that but i i think it's so fascinating i mean um blade runner was a phenomenal movie. oh yeah uh, that monologue at the end where he's in the rain and he's like, I forget what he says, but uh, he says Tannhauser Gates, though. I remember that. And I was like, oh, Wagner. Like, <laughs> oh, wait, right. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. strange? Yeah. Yeah. Big, uh, kind of just the way that's permeated the culture. Um, we Another geeky thing we've been doing is there's a board game called Clank in Space that has like little game pieces going around on a ship trying to steal things. Mm. And all the different cards that you encounter of different aliens are different sort of plays on famous characters, you know, mm -hmm. furry smuggler is kind of a, like a throw up to Chewbacca, Wookiee, the, the friend of Han Solo in, in uh, Star Wars. So there's all these like inner uh, in jokes. So that's been another very geeky thing we've been doing. Is that sort of like a, a meta thing in a way, or is it like, um, like they're trying to take the Star Wars uh world and like turn into something different or no i think it's a meta thing like it's mm. you know it's like a sci-fi board game for sci-fi geeks and so you know they're they're having fun with like every card that you pick i mean there's there's one that's like you know uh it's a per, it's a lady in a loader like ripley in the second aliens and mm. you know it's some it's some piece of equipment you can buy and use and they've got some kind of homage sort of name that it doesn't call it ripley's you know loader but you know that's what it is <laughs> so yeah i would say it's it's meta it's like you know a big old tribute kind of like a munch like munchkin this is a, is a card game that some people play that we've played um that has a lot of like dungeons and dragons references you know have you have you played dungeons and dragons not for a long time but yeah i played it for a while like um in maybe like middle school probably was the prime Dungeons and Dragons age because then I started to do theater productions and I didn't have time anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, but we would play with my uncles. My uncles were big D&D &D people. And so they would always make us scenarios and, you know, we'd go to Smog's Lair and we'd go to fight the orcs and you know, all these fun, fun things. Yeah. That's, I, I never played it, but like, I love the whole idea that you just create this thing and it, and like, 
you revisit it, you know, it can go on for well, mm-hmm. as long as you want to, right? Is that, yeah. is that, that's so amazing. I, I could probably sit and watch people play it and just enjoy that <laughs> so much. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. It's, the most fun, I think too, for me, was always when you were sort of using it to have a good time and not getting too stuck on like your die rolls and accidentally dying and having the game end or too much of a stickler for things. Like it really matters like who you play with. I think that's, that's, that's really, I have this interesting thought. Have you ever kind of connected the whole way of playing a game? Maybe not like the, you know, an actual literal game, but uh, I don't even know how to ask this question. This is going to be tough. Basically connecting playing board games to composing music. Like, Hmm. your process for composing and the way you play a board game. Does that make sense? Interesting. I could totally see it, especially like if people, I think especially in the Dungeons and Dragons, if someone was like the dungeon master who's sort of creating the scenario, you know, and sort of laying out things that events that may occur that'll get triggered. You know, I think that could be very aligned with ideas about how you compose music and how you construct and it's interactive, right? You have other players and they're, you know, imposing their, not imposing, that's the wrong word, contributing their ideas and their personality, you know, and in a lot of ways with more, like more say than a typical classical performer might, you know, unless they're, they're playing a piece of aleatoric music. So yeah, I think why not? Yeah. I'm, I'm all about that. That's cool. That could be a really fun piece too. That could be a fun, like a Dungeons and Dragons piece could be really fun. Yeah. You know, you have like a narrator and you could have like a theme and then you, it could be aleatoric. Like people could roll and then it could change, change what happens. That could be fun. Lisa, I feel like we're laying out all kinds of great ideas for operas. I got to say. I love it. This yes. is like, this Go is forth like, and write. Uh, uh, anyone who wants to write an opera can watch this episode and just extract all these ideas. Yes. And, and look, all of them so much more interesting than like, you know, retelling some kind of 18th century heteronormative romance. So yes, please. It's it's bringing the contemporary, uh, like you were saying before, bringing the contemporary to light, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the uh, artistic realm of music. Yeah, why not? Especially something like D&D, like... I don't know if there's any music that's ever been written using like that as the basis. I maybe yeah, I don't know. I know there's a movie. Isn't there a movie like some bad? I think there's probably like a bad B movie about Dungeons and Dragons. That's a good question. There probably is. I know uh, uh, that show uh, Stranger Things like started with D and D, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. No, that's yeah. That always I love that reference in there because it's so I can so relate. Mm. Um. Yeah, but I mean, like, who cares if it's who cares if someone has made a crappy B movie called Dungeons and the Dragons? Don't watch it. Just write something cool and new and and awesome, you know. And um, yeah, don't don't feel don't feel boxed in by that, people. Okay, I believe those in creative you. juices uh, flowing. Yeah, totally. What do you have any sort of um, uh, I guess like method or or process to tease out creative ideas when you're feeling stuck? Hmm. Well, I mean, one of my processes is just to have like time tomorrow to come back and (laughs) 
try again. <laughs> you know, that's one, that's one thing. It's really different for me, the stage of composing where there's idea generation from nothing versus once there's some components and we're connecting or editing, those are two different processes. So from nothing, that's where you get inspiration maybe and a bunch of cool stuff flows or you can have, I can have days where nothing that I write is good or it's very painful and slow. So the, the process for me for teasing that out is to just have time set aside so that it doesn't feel urgent. Mm. You know, in the completely blank page moments, time crunch does not induce creativity for me. So yeah, and my one other strategy I use in those moments is we'll write 10 ideas down and it's okay if they all suck, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes the sucky ideas have to get out, you know, and then just kind of clear. That's one thing. And then, yeah, come back tomorrow is another thing and sort of trusting and my own cycle of like energy and exhaustion is really important to pay attention to too. There are days when maybe I have a two hour block I could use to start a piece or start a new section. But if I'm really worn out, if I've already used up a bunch of mental energy and sort of higher level like brain energy and I'm just tapped out, it won't, it's not a good day to do that, mm. you know? Later on in the process, then it's a little different if it's connecting things or if it's editing things or if it's coming up with a better version of something then it's a lot more for me like like writing an uh, essay or something where you might brainstorm 10 different variations and eventually find the one you like best you know or it might help to zoom out and sort of sing through or play through the piece and sort of get a sense of the flow and go, that's the part that's crunchy that I don't like, or that's the part that seems too long, or that's the part that doesn't feel complete. Where you sort of read through and experience and imagine what it's gonna be like for the audience to encounter it for the first time, sort of zooming out. Yeah. Um, and then also, I mean, I find this is more new for me. When I was younger, it was very hard for me to write long pieces. Mm -hmm. Lately, the last three or four years, I found that one idea, I have way more tools to exploit that idea and get a lot of mileage out of it. And so another thing that I find is often the case is that when I'm sitting there feeling like I need to write something new and what goes here or what connects this, it's actually a lot of times something's already exists that I can use, you know? Um, and so just kind of mining what's already there, my toolkit for that is so much deeper now mm. than it used to be, or it comes easier or I see things more clearly. So those are some of the things that I do. There's so much, so much really good stuff in there. I particularly like what you said about time as a creative, as a source of creativity. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've heard anyone explain it like that. And that, but that Ooh. is such a, uh, it makes so much sense. Um, I know, I know there are people who, who like thrive under deadlines, mm -hmm. but um, 
I I'm I know I'm not like that though. I'm like I'm like you where I need to have that space. Yeah. <laughs> I need to have that time that that space where I can I can kind of uh sift through it and try things out and and research, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um, research totally. Oh my gosh, I mean for me, like I often feel like there's this pre-writing incubation period where like the some of the parameters for the piece are set like in length about and performing forces and maybe some information about what the performers love or if there's a need for the piece, like we need a closer, we want it to be up-tempo or whatever those are. We're like, if I went cool, all that information on Monday, go write the piece Tuesday, it's like too soon. Mm-hmm. It really like kind of needs to be, it works best. It, I, I'll get the best out of myself if it's sort of incubating and I'm like listening to their recordings from the ensemble and I'm looking up weird techniques for the oboe and hearing what does that sound like? What is that? How's that notated? Yeah. You know, and then it's like the egg timer comes off, goes off, you know, or the, I'm a vegan, the tofu timer goes off or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, okay, now we have like enough stuff to write something cool. Yeah. Oh my God. I think we're, we're so similar with like that's our so, process so cool. and like, I, I'm the same way where, um, I, I think I spend a little bit too much time in the research stage, honestly, but I don't sure. know if that's a procrastination technique or, uh, um, or just my mode, my modest, sure. operandi, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean like letting all these things sort of fester, you know, and, 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 uh, and teasing out the little aspects of like, well, what about this fingering or mm-hmm. like, or like, well, this note sounds really cool. What if this note's on top? You know, like I don't know, just experimenting, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, that's 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 really interesting. That that uh, uh, you have a we have a very similar approach like that. Um, I love that. Yeah, and I I mean I love deadlines um, in terms of just as a busy excuse me as a busy person, mm-hmm. it is difficult to get around to the thing that has no deadline, you know. But when it's the raw generation of ideas, you know, that, that may take a little time. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's totally true. Um, there's a book that I had read a while ago called the creative habit by Twilight mm-hmm. Sharp. Mm-hmm. That, that she has some really, really fascinating ways to, to harness or, or like tease for creativity. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, I know I've heard of that book before, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So I have to, I'll have to go find it. One day you'll you'll come across it, and you'll be like, "Oh, there we go." You know? yeah. <laughs> There's always those lists. There's always like the list of books you gotta read, the list of movies you gotta watch, the the, the songs you gotta listen to. Sure. You know, it's it's like, and especially with all these streaming services too. Like for me, in movies, it's like just building up. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we're now in like this zone of like, I'm sorry if I have Netflix and Amazon, and it's not on one of those, like, will I watch it? <laughs> yeah. Maybe someday, maybe not. You know, especially with them, they're like, and we're not going to release it on, like, for rental, you know, on Amazon Prime or on, you know, any of this rent, like, one-time rental things, you know? It's like, well, it's too bad for you then. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Guess I won't be watching your movie for a while. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I actually want to start getting DVDs again. Um, oh, I want to, I want to uh, own the copy. I want to have it, you know, mm-hmm. you're a man after my fiance's, uh, own heart. Uh, my fiance, Mike has a large DVD and Blu-ray collection. Mm. 
a very extensive library for this very reason. Oh yeah. my God. He's, uh, I like him already. He's such yes, a great well, guy. <laughs> but he, yeah, he is. He's pretty great. That's cool. Yeah. I, I'll, you know, slowly it will build, but uh, good on him. Good on him for being ahead of the, being ahead of the game. It's been great this year. <laughs> I mean, it's always great, but it's like, oh, we can, we can really entertain ourselves. Totally. The, the right Should year I... to do that. <laughs> yes. It's been such a luxury. It's well, I don't want to say it's the right year. It's the year that uh, necessitated that I would say. Yeah. And it's you just, know? it's been really fun to, to escape into some fantastical worlds and exactly. put our feet up and, you know, sort of pamper ourselves with a flick is yeah. really fun. Yeah, it really is. I I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, like this podcast just kind of floats, you know, like there's no serious structure or anything like that. But with that being said, like, I want to, I want to make sure that we talk about something that you want to bring up or like have a conversation on. So um, I know you have all kinds of projects and stuff that you're doing and uh, I would love to hear or anything that you want to, you want to mention. Or, oh my gosh. Uh, thanks for asking. Um, yeah. So the big, the big thing this month we're in march the big thing this month is the opera festival that kendra leonard a wonderful librettist and i are putting on in three weeks it starts march 22nd to 26th and this is a festival of new mini operas it's called the one voice micro opera festival and each opera is for one singer and nothing else unaccompanied they're self-contained stories and they will drop one per day for those five days uh, as a YouTube premiere at five o'clock Pacific each day. And we've got like, I'm doing one about Catherine Switzer, who's a personal heroine of mine. She was the, the first woman to run the Boston Marathon as a registered runner. Um, another woman ran the year before unregistered. So I'm, I'm doing an opera about that historic run. She was attacked on the run by the race director. So this dramatizes that. We've got an opera about an opera singer in his home, wondering what is gonna happen during the pandemic and what is life gonna be like and you know the meaning of all of this. So very kind of inspired by this singer's own life. We've got an opera about um, this 17th century French noblewoman who challenged an intruder to a duel under the name of her husband and, <laughs> Hell yeah. pants and she fought him off. So we've got fantastic singers from across the US who will be performing these. People are coming up with really creative ways to do the tech and the filming with just, you know, whatever we have available. So they're really their own directors and lighters and costumers, you know, with Kendra and me helping as much as we can through Zoom. Mm. And then at the end of all of that, there's a fun talk back reception that people can register and come to on Zoom where they can ask us all the questions and, you know, digitally uh, raise a toast to the performers and the creators and have a little fun with us. So that's the thing that I'm really excited about this month. That is, that sounds amazing. I am like, thanks. I, I, I'm like, whew, let's do it. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. Well, I hope you tune in. It'll be super fun. We just were doing a, sort of a dry run of some of our filming techniques 
yesterday, um, Mike, my fiance and I were just, he was trying out different ways of running alongside me or having the camera on a bike and roll and get alongside me and different, you know, home tech movie creation for mine. So that'll be exciting to put into practice mm -hmm. as we do the production. Totally. So it's yeah. Really fun. I, I love, I love the DIY aspect that you're, you're, you know, like, like you just said with the mic, the camera and everything. Thanks. That's, that's, uh, that's like, you know, uh, like just creating the opportunity and making it happen. You know, yeah. like, like you could try to hire someone to do it who has all the skills and all the equipment and stuff, but it's like, well, that might be a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our starting budget for this thing is zero. You know, it's a passion project for all of us. Um, it came about because, you know, we wanted to create something and we missed performing particularly opera that is story and that is, you know, it is, it's costume and set and drama in a different way. Mm. And that is going to be probably one of the last art forms that can safely come back because grand opera is a bunch of people on stage and a bunch of people in the pit exhaling all over each other for three hours and that's just not going to be safe for a while i think mm. so this is one way of like just going really granular like what is a one person drama and and what kind of stories do people want to tell with that and i'm a big proponent of, of singers singing unaccompanied repertoire that's been a, a passion of mine for the last seven years with the one voice project which is a concert um, and score curation project that I have for unaccompanied concert repertoire. So this is sort of a natural extension of that to break it into theater, theatrical opera production. Right. Wow. That's, I, I, I love hearing about this was, so Thanks. you said this was a, a passion project. Um, was, was it something that you and who, who was the other person again? Oh, Kendra Leonard is the librettist Kendra Leonard. Was for she... all five of them. Yeah. So we're the dynamic creative team. <laughs> I love that. Um, she was, was she at the, the tech setting like a boss? Was that? Yes. She did okay. come and hang out with us on that, which was so, so exciting. I loved that we had some, um, in addition to people who kind of identify first as composers, as their like main creative output that we had librettists and we had some singers like people who identify mainly as a singer right now we had some people with different backgrounds yeah yeah i remember that and i, I thought it was so great having her there with um you know mm -hmm. having that perspective and, and one of the things that she said which i think all of us need to be reminded was if you know just reach out to a librettist just simply yes. out it's a simple thing but i think a lot of people have trouble with it i know i do sometimes so so challenging as artists you know everybody says collaborate everybody says you know be interdisciplinary and our institutions where many of us train are not actually designed for that mm -hmm. you know um and those periods of time especially you know at the times in the programs where we get to make our creative work happen the self self-conducted kind of like those happen in the second half of of undergrad and you know, maybe the second half of a grad program where everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off trying to get things done. It's not, again, time, right? Mm -hmm. So like, we have to find a way to make the time. And sometimes that isn't aided as much as it could be by the institutions where a lot of, a lot of artists, not all artists, but where many artists train. 
so like anything, if you like are starting from, I know zero poets, it is overwhelming, right? Yeah. But then, you know, come whatever, tweet at me and I'll introduce you to some and then they'll introduce you to some and not all of their poetry will be the stuff you want to set right now. Maybe it will be in the future. It, like anything, if you, if you start at very few or zero, it'll take a little time, but it doesn't have to take as long as people think. That's exactly been one of the things that I've struggled with because I don't, I don't, I don't really even read novels or poems mm -hmm. or anything. So sure. even looking at a poem, I'm like, I'm not entirely sure what, what I'm looking at. And yeah, totally. Know, I'll have certain ideas of what might be happening, but, and that, that for me is often a, a barrier that I have trouble getting past even. Um, mm -hmm. But that's such a good, that's a, such a good thing to mention about um, uh, having like contemporaries, like you were saying before about talking about contemporary issues and stuff, which then right there can lead to the collaboration of, of working with someone who is a contemporary. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and um, cause you were, you, you work with Kendra being able to have that conversation about what should this be about? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can try to find some poem that's already been written, but then sure. is it, is it going to be the content that you want it to be? The word, Who knows, maybe, you know, right. Yeah. 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 But as a way to sort of bypass that, like commissioning a librettist to be like, Hey, can you write something for me? Yeah. And you know, one of the wonderful things I think too, as a composer where so much of our work is kind of, often alone and then we have this piece and it's maybe performed once and then it's our baby to try to get another performance is like imagine having another parent <laughs> it's so great you know imagine I can't tell you the number of times I've sent like Kendra a page or two I'm like here's kind of the rough draft of the first chunk and I don't know how I'm feeling about it and she's like this is so great and <laughs> you know it's it's so wonderful to like not be in the trenches alone and um and just you know, to have another person with ideas about ways to to put the piece out into the world or to keep its life going and that has been so wonderful mm, i, I like know? that yeah that that's really great especially with everything that we've been living this last year in the pandemic having someone mm -hmm. to like just to connect with but also, like you said, having that sort of uh, reassurance in the way, you know? Totally. Yeah, then, and, you know, the, the process of, of creating something, there's just so much love and work and blood and sweat and tears that often go into that. Mm -hmm. So it is nice to be reminded you're not the only one and, and that, um, maybe to be affirmed in things that, that you're having doubts about, or, or maybe to be affirmed that like, yeah, you know, I think you're right. That part's not so great, but the rest of this is great. You know, I mean, like whatever, however you set that relationship up and figure out that working relationship, it's, it's really, really different than writing a piece, you know, into the wee hours of the night all by my onesies, which I've done before. And it, it's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, this is, this is really fun work and it is also great to brainstorm. I mean, we do, we've, for every opera we've written together and this is our, we've done five of these and then, uh, another piece that's being premiered by opera elect this summer, COVID willing, depending on, on how the tech and all that works out. But like, um, so that's with six, you know, we've, we've always talked about the plots together and we've always talked about the characters and 
I don't know, you know, every librettist composer relationship will be different, but that's been really a wonderful source of inspiration and has clarified a lot of the themes that I'm most passionate about by talking through those with Kendra and by finding where, where our passions of, of storytelling overlap. Mm. That's, that's so great. It's yeah. uh, having that, that, that sort of partner in crime, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. So you can find that, you can totally find that too, you know? Definitely. I love that. Oh, well, I, I think, uh, I think this is a pretty decent spot for us to close it off. What do you think? Oh, of course. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me. Of course. I, I, uh, I want to make sure we get everything in there that you want to, you want to tack on or anything. So is there any, like any other projects or events or social media things you want to mention? Or Oh, wow. That's so sweet of you. Um, gosh, you know, if any, any flutists out there are, are checking out, there's some different flute um, festivals that are going on where Rose Bishop, uh, flute and piccolo performer, amazing, is performing uh, two of my pieces at the uh, Portland, Greater Portland Area Flute Society um, in April, their Flute Fest. So you can you can check that out and, and hang out with Rose there. Uh, and those pieces that she's performing are on the EP that we released about a month ago of Wind and Waves. So if you want to hear those in advance, you can check that out on Bandcamp. Um, and then, you know, if, if you're a composer who wants to chat, all things writing for voices, and also the business side of composing, of getting your music in front of people, whether that's vocal music or or other kinds of music, because I, I actually write all kinds of music. Um yeah, come hit me up on social media and start a conversation. And I'd love to know what's going on with people because those are all things that I'm passionate about helping composers with. Fantastic. That's awesome. I'm I'm so glad to have this conversation with you, Lisa. Thank you for, for uh, being on the podcast. This was great. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.